If you've got a Bible, though, it'd be lovely if you turn now to Isaiah chapter 65. Hilton is going to come and read God's word to us, and then Neil's going to come and preach to us. Thanks, Hilton. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from Holy Scripture. Thanks, Hilton. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you that Christ, the Prince of Peace, has come. He's come into this world with a message of great hope. And we do pray this morning as we look at your word together that you would fill us with, uh, with that hope, that you would encourage us, you would warm our hearts as we think of the life to come, that uh, this life is not all there is. But there is a great hope of eternal life as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. So reveal yourself to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, unlike, I guess, some of you here, I've um, been blessed to have lived my whole life without ever knowing what it's like for this country to truly be at war. Yes, there have been troops sent to the Falklands during my lifetime, at Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, but none of those wars has really affected life back in the UK. Life has carried on pretty much as normal. I do remember studying a First World War poetry at school, Siegfried Sassoon, Wilfred Owen, um, reading poems that describe terrible scenes and thinking, how could human beings cause such suffering to one another? And thinking how the despair of war stands in such contrast to some of the beauty of the world in which we live. Imagine if you were living at the beginning of the 20th century in, in Long Crendon, a um, pretty little village, little shops uh, providing all you need, the butchers, the bakers, the grocers, horses to get around, um, within easy reach of the Chilterns where you could enjoy lovely views like this. And then you're sent 
to fight in the trenches of the First World War. And instead of ponds and hedges, sheep grazing in the fields, there is mud and bomb craters and the stench of death. How do you respond? Well, some would have been driven to despair. Others would have dreamed of home, hoped for peace. Sadly, many of the men fighting in the First World War didn't come home. Their bodies were laid to rest in the battlefields of France and Belgium. The Battle of the Somme alone, one million men were killed or wounded. And the thing is, if they had escaped death and returned to their own country, would that have been the end of their troubles? Or at the war memorial, we said these words, they shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. But for those who did survive, many struggled with the trauma of what they had seen, what they had experienced, such as author A.A. Milne, for whom writing Winnie the Pooh almost became a sort of therapy to help him deal with his post-traumatic stress disorder. Would the world learn the lesson of World War I? Well, sadly not. It was repeated only 20 years later with the Second World War. But it makes us ask the question, where is our real home? And in what do we place our trust? Do we trust in humankind that um, one day people will learn from the horrors of war? Or do we trust in God who will one day bring an end to all wars? Well, the passage that was read for us was from the book of Isaiah, written at a time when the people of Israel were taken into captivity by a foreign power, by Babylon. And many of them dreamed of coming home one day. And God promised that he would restore them. But of course, that wouldn't be the end of their their earthly troubles. Age would still weary them, even if they got home. And so this passage describes something far better than a homecoming. It describes new heavens and a new earth. Have a look at the passage there. Keep it open as we look at it together. It's something those soldiers in the trenches could hang on to. And it's something we can hang on to today. Because let's face it, life is not perfect for any of us. And what it helps us see is that this life is just a short, temporary dwelling place. Whereas our real home if we trust in God, is with him. The passage gives us a great insight into the life to come and hopefully uh, will enable us to cope with the challenges uh, that we will face in this life. One of the confusions sometimes about heaven is the idea that when we, we die, we leave this physical place and we somehow float around in the sky. But that's not actually the language the Bible uses. God says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. So there will be change. But there will also be some sort of continuity, some similarity with the earth as we know it. Now, it's good to spend ages speculating on what the new heavens and the earth may look like, but let's see what the passage has to to say. Because although it doesn't describe the, the physical features, it does tell us what we most need to know. Three key things, both all of which will state a positive of what it, what it will be like, but also a negative of what it won't be like. And the first thing we read is that there will be permanent joy 
and no sadness or death. We were all about some experiences of joy, I'm sure, in, in our lives. Maybe the joy of achievement. Maybe passing an exam. Might be a long time ago now for some of us. Um, maybe being picked for a sports team. Maybe giving a concert. Being promoted at work. But the joy of achievement can uh, often disappear quite, quite quickly. A more long-lasting joy is, is relational joy. The joy of people. It's great to have... Uh, Tom and Shaz here this morning celebrating the birth of their, their new baby. Later this month, Claire Mayforth will be celebrating her marriage to, to Maxie in Argentina. That will be a special day. But we hope they will enjoy many years of married life together and maybe even match some of you who've celebrated 50 or even 60 years of married life. But unfortunately, because of the fallen world in which we live, relationships are never perfect. Because we're not perfect. And so even between good friends, uh, uh, even between family members, there is often tension and frustration from time to time. But imagine if it was permanently joyful. Because this is the image we have here. Look at verse 18 and 19. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. There will be uninterrupted joy. Jerusalem refers to the new place God will create for his people. His people will be able to rejoice and so too will God. I will take delight in my people, he says. They will make him happy. We're told that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, the joy of seeing his people reconciled to God. God is preparing his bride, the church, for that day when his people will meet Jesus face to face. If we're Christians here this morning, we know uh, something of that deeper joy already, don't we? Because we have the joy of knowing we are saved. That we have a heavenly father who, who loves us. We have a saviour. Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us so that we can be forgiven and accepted and reconciled to God. We have the Holy Spirit who encourages us, who guides us, who who protects us. We have an inexhaustible treasure of God's promises. We have eternal hope. But sadly, we still live in a fallen world that is characterized by pain and suffering and which prevents us from fully experiencing that joy now. One of the greatest causes of pain is, of course, death. And today we remember those who died in conflict so that we can enjoy peace and freedom. Inevitably also we remember our our personal loss, those who have died through illness or, or tragedy. But in the new heavens... And the new earth, we're told, the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. There will not only be no death from wars and conflict, there will be no death at all. And therefore no sadness or mourning. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Infant mortality rates in this country has fallen dramatically. Over the last couple of centuries, um, in the 18th century, it was as high as 
whereas today is about 0.4%. But for those who do experience it, and there may be some here, it is heartbreaking. And there are those who experience the loss of miscarriage, uh, which is much more frequent. In the new heavens and the new earth, death will be wiped out completely. There will be permanent joy and no more sadness or death. There will also be permanent security. No displacement, no futility. I mentioned the book of Isaiah was written for those who would find themselves in exile, having been taken captive, forcefully removed from their homeland, to go and live in a a foreign country, under foreign rule, worshipping foreign gods. What do they need to hear? What's the message that they need to hear? Well, they need to hear that they still belong to God's people, that one day they will live back in their land in security. Many people today have experienced the trauma of fleeing their homes in fear of their lives. The UN has reported that there are around 50 million refugees worldwide, many of them as a result of the Syrian civil war. Five million have fled that country, six million have been internally displaced. And just recently in the north of Syria, nearly 200,000 Kurds fled their homes following the recent Turkish offensive. The largest refugee camp in the world is this one here, Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh, home to over 700,000 Rohingya refugees from neighboring Myanmar. The Rohingya people have been described by the United Nations as among the world's least wanted, one of the world's most persecuted minorities. There's no guarantee that those people will be able to live again in peace and security in their homeland. But there's a great encouragement for people from whatever country for the life to come if they put their trust in Jesus. Because look at verse 21, what it says there. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruits. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. Imagine for them what it must be like to build houses and to stay in them. Do not fear that uh, they may have to leave everything that uh, they have in just a quick moment. To plant a vineyard is uh, a long-term investment. Apparently it takes 12 years before a, a vine is ready to produce a good wine. So they can plant vineyards knowing that they will be there for the long term. The future is safe and secure. They will still be around to enjoy the fruit of their labors, to sample the vintage. It's not just about physical security, though, is it? It's about fulfillment. It's about the, the lack of futility in life. Many of you may have or have had uh, very satisfying jobs. Um, you may be doing what you've always wanted to do. Or if not least, uh, at least it's still quite an interesting job and, and, and it pays well. Some of the young people here may be thinking, uh, what career am I going to do one day in which I can find fulfillment and satisfaction and a decent salary? There may be others here whose job gives them no satisfaction at all. Maybe others who are out of work. There are many people in the world who do not have a choice about what job they can do. They are very unsatisfying jobs, but they just keep going for the sake of survival having enough money to buy food for themselves and their families. 
According to the latest estimates, 2.2 billion people in the world live off less than $2 a day. In this world, we are told that after the fall, work would be hard. But again, it won't always be like this. It says, for as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. At one extreme, to work and not see anything for your labor is to, is to be a slave. And sadly, slavery is still in existence in the world and even in this country. A lot of it in the sex trade. But it could just be exploitation where people are paid very little for, for hard work. There's another way in which work can be futile, where we're working for some other goal which we hope one day we will be able to enjoy. But that day never comes. Maybe we're living for retirement, but ill health or death prevent us from enjoying it. Maybe we're working to get to a certain position, and when we we get there, we, we realize that actually all the sacrifices we had to make to get there were just not worth it. Broken marriage, dysfunctional family, poor health, lack of social life, friends we haven't seen in years. For those who have no prospects and see no prospects for any children they may have in the future, it must be really hard. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be that sense of worry and despair, not having to to wonder if you'll ever get any better, because we will be in the presence of God himself. And as it says here in verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. That is what God says to reassure us and encourage us. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be permanent security. There will be no displacement and no futility of life. And finally, there will be permanent peace and no violence or destruction. Well, peace is something I'm sure we all dream of. And for those who are closer to a, a conflict zone or even living in the middle of a conflict zone, then the greater they say the need of that, the des- more desperation they will be praying for peace. The Middle East is a complex, it's a dangerous place. We, we wonder, despite all the attempts made in recent years, if there will ever be peace in the Middle East during this lifetime. Well, back at the beginning of the book of Isaiah in chapter 2, Isaiah had this vision. He said, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he carries on, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And now at the end of the book of Isaiah, we have another vision. At the end of this chapter, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain 
says the Lord. The wolf, the lion, the serpent, three animals that signify violence, and they will be tamed. The wolf will not feed on the lamb, but with the lamb. There won't be an expression, cry wolf, anymore, because uh, you won't need to worry about wolves attacking anybody. The lion won't feed on smaller animals, but like them will feed on vegetation. It's a picture of peace, of harmony. The serpent won't bite and poison other animals or people anymore. Imagine if you lived in an area of conflict, waking up, and instead of gunfire, hearing the sound of birds, children playing. Imagine turning on the news and not one of the news stories is about war or murder or violence. Imagine as a child you wake up and instead of the usual shouting and screaming and fighting in the home, there is peace. We read of the serpent eating dust. Some of you may recall what God said to the serpent in the book of Genesis. After the fall, he said this, You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The serpent there that God was speaking to was the devil. The devil did strike the heel of the woman's offspring. He did strike Jesus. But Jesus crushed his head. Jesus gave his life in that greatest act of sacrifice that we read at the beginning of the service from John 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay lay down one's life for one's friends. In that act of sacrifice, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, that punishment we deserve for excluding God from our lives, and in so doing, he made it possible for us to be forgiven, to be made right with God. And Jesus was raised to life and he conquered death. And it's because of that conquest over sin and death that we can trust God. That when Jesus comes again, he will wipe it out. And it will be forever. There will be no more violence, no more destruction. There will be only peace. And the greatest peace that we can experience, the peace of being right with God. Well, as we finish and we come to, to the Lord's table, we are reminded on this Remembrance Day that we live in a world where there will always be wars. But we don't need to, to lose hope. Because we have been promised that God will create new heavens and a new earth. And if we trust in Jesus, what he's promised is that he will take us there to be with him. That will be our real home, not this earthly tent. In our real home, there will be permanent joy. No sadness, no death. There will be permanent security. No displacement, no anxiety about uh, where to live. No futility in wondering what we're here for. There will be permanent peace, no violence and no destruction. And best of all, we'll be with God. And we'll see him in all his glory. And we will marvel at it as the crucified, risen King of glory, Jesus, returns to take his people to be with him. 
What do we do with all of this, though, these amazing truths? Well, there is a response that we do need to, to make, isn't there? First of all, let's dream of home, particularly when uh, things are tough in this life. Be encouraged that it won't always be like this. Even when things are going well in your life, which they may be for for some of you, and you've got lots to rejoice about, remember this is just a glimpse of the future. The best is still to come. Prepare for home. Don't allow yourself to be taken in by the lies of this world, to live for, for momentary pleasures. Live as though you are already in your real home. It may at times feel like you're in the trenches, but you can still live like a Christian in the trenches. Live in the same way that Christ lived when he came to this earth. Seek to become more like him. Show your love and concern for others. And finally, invite others home with you. If you were living in a squalid refugee camp and you were promised a new home, where there was security and peace and joy. Wouldn't you want to take all your friends from that refugee camp with you? The wonderful thing about the the new heavens and the new earth is that everyone is invited. So if you've not yet accepted that invitation, let me urge you to do so. What are you waiting for? If you have accepted that invitation, but you're holding on to it for yourself... You know you're okay. What about all those around you? What about your friends, your family, your neighbours, your colleagues? Surely you want to take them with you to that new home where there'll be joy and peace forever. Let's dream of home. But let's also prepare for home and invite others to come home with us. Let's pray. Father God, as you see us, you know, you know us, you know our lives, you know what we're going through at this time. You know many here will be struggling. And we pray that you will have encouraged them this morning with that hope of a better future. There may be others here who who are quite happy with their, their lives as they, as they are, just carrying on. Lord, give them a bigger vision of what is to come. We know this world is broken. We, Just in remembering those who have given their lives today, we know it is a fallen world. We know that this can't be all there is. And so, Lord, again, help us to prepare for home. We thank you that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that we have a place there. He's promised that he will come to take us to be with him. And we long for that day. And we long for those people who we know are still lost, that they will come to be there with us. So Lord, help us to to share that good news of Jesus with them. In his name we pray. Amen.